Hello and welcome to Lippert's Built to Lead podcast, the show where we go behind the scenes to show you what it takes to be a leader in today's business and manufacturing worlds. From workplace culture to leadership development to business excellence, our team is excited to share the stories, the strategies, and the lessons we've learned throughout our journey. Our intent is to both challenge and inspire you to make business a force for good in the world as you grow yourself, your team, and your business. Join us as we dive into what it really means to be built to lead and how you can get there no matter where you are in your life or in your career. Tune in and continue your leadership journey today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Built to Lead podcast. This is Dr. Angie Sokol, director of the Lippert Academy for Leadership. And with me today is Austin Hatch. I met Austin at a leadership conference called the Purpose Summit, where he was a guest speaker. And as background, uh, Austin is a survivor of two deadly plane crashes where he lost his entire immediate family. He has endured more challenges already in his young life than most of us will face our entire lifetime. His message of grit and gratitude is so inspiring. I wanted him to come here to share with all of you today his story. And I I think the focus with the Academy is the leaders in his life really stepped up and served with their hearts. And our vision here at the Academy is making business a force for good. And I think Austin's story is such a great example of how we can all encourage, inspire, and motivate others uh, through adversity. So, Austin, thank you. I really appreciate you being at our podcast today. One of the things that I I didn't mention in in Austin's introduction is that he was one of the uh, best basketball players in the country in high school and was recruited to the University of Michigan to play for Coach Beeline. And I thought what I would do is just start at that point, Austin, and you can tell us a little bit about what did it take to become a great basketball player and how did you end up at University of Michigan? Well, thanks for having me on, Angie. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege. So unfortunately, yeah, I had a a couple big ones in my life, two tragic plane crashes that had a drastic impact on my life forever, you know, took the lives of my family tragically. But I believe those two events gave me a great opportunity as well. Um, So to to backtrack to your question about Michigan, I had worked worked really hard to to accomplish my lifelong dream of playing at Michigan. It It was my goal from when I was really young. And, you know, work, working out all the time is that, you know, from when I was young, a young kid, you know, going to the gym before school and working out with my dad um, and going to class, going to practice after school. And then so it was a I loved I loved the process. I loved working for it. Right. I mean, obviously, it was great to get that, like achieve the goal of playing for Michigan. But I loved the journey. And that's what my dad always told me. He said, oh, like there were times and I would get a little bit frustrated or not so much frustrated, just focused on the outcome. You know, Dad, I just want to get my offer to go play at Michigan. And he'd just say, Oss, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. I think that's so important in any circumstance. I think we need to really enjoy that process of getting to where we want to go because if uh, if we enjoy the journey, it'll make the it'll make the end result that much sweeter because we know how much work we put in and we know how much sacrifice we had to make to get there. So you know, I was blessed to, blessed to, you know, have a great opportunity to go play at Michigan. I got the offer on June 15, 2011. And tragically, nine days later, um, on June 24, 2011, I was involved in the second plane crash of my life. It took the life of my dad and my second mom. Nine years prior, I was with my family and I were involved in a, in a first plane crash that 
tragically came the lives of my mom, Julie, who was 38 at the time, my dad's high school sweetheart, my older sister, Lindsay, who was 11, little brother, Ian, who was only five. Incomprehensible loss. You know, I, I don't know how, how, I don't know how my dad kept living and kept going. I'm married now. I can't imagine what it was like losing a wife. You know, he and my mom were together 25 years. They'd been married 18 at that time. But, you know, I can't, I can't imagine you know what that was like and um but we he found a way to keep moving forward keep living his life in the midst of that loss and kind of showed me how it's done kind of set an example for me that i didn't know would, would ever be so important so um yeah i just i paid attention to what he was trying to teach me how he was leading me by example set an example of what it looks like to overcome and what it looks like to you know keep moving forward in the face of that adversity and that was very important for me and that, those lessons stuck with me, you know, especially after the second plane crash and I was I was almost killed. I came out of the coma. I had a long road to recovery ahead of me. I had to learn how to walk and talk and eat and basically how to take care of myself, how to live a, a normal life. And, you know, my the lessons my parents instilled in me, you know, the, the hard work, the de 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 determination, the grit that, that stuck with me every day. And that's a large part of the reason why we made a pretty good comeback. So. So just to clarify, just so that we're, you know, everybody kind of understands the timeline. The first plane crash was when? It was September 1st, September 1st, 2000. Then, 2011, you know, did you say? No, the, the first plane crash was 2003. Oh, 2003. And, and the second plane crash was 2011. Um, okay. My dad, my dad was remarried, and um, a couple years after, you know, after the first accident, you know, not the same as. You know, for me, not the same as my mom, Julie, and siblings, but I'm grateful for, you know, for my, my, my for our blended family. And, um, yeah, and, but, you know, tragically, life was pretty good, right? And then we were flying to northern Michigan to have a weekend of celebration after that, uh, after I committed to play in Michigan on June 15th. And then, um, tragically, nine days later, we were involved in a second plane crash that took the lives of my dad and second mom and and almost took my life as well. So, so after that second plane crash, what did you go through? So, come, I was in a coma for about two months, maybe a little over two and a half. And I came out of that coma. I was at the RIC in Chicago, the the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, and um, it was the number one pediatric traumatic brain injury rehab center in the world at the time. Probably still is. I'm so blessed to be there. And, um, yeah, I had a long road. I mean, I, I came out of a coma. My, my physical therapist, Michael Kalaski, had to help me relearn how to walk and basically, like, carry out the daily functions to live a life of, you know, a normal life. And my, a lot of the time to be discharged from the hospital, you have to kind of prove that you can be independent. You have to prove to them that you're going to be fine without, you know, a critical care unit. My test to be able to get, leave the RIC and go home to Indiana, to Fort Wayne, was to walk up and down a flight of stairs by myself. And I was fortunate to have great therapists. They thought I was going to be in the, in the hospital till Christmas of 2011 at the, at the earliest. Um, that's when they thought I was going to get out. But, you know, fortunately, by the grace of God and by, you know, the, the contributions of everyone on the team, the doctors, nurses, therapists, my family and friends, people across the country who prayed for me, um, we got out of the hospital about months ahead of schedule on October 8th, 2011. Which was an incredible blessing. So, so after you got out of the hospital, what about your dreams of playing basketball? The first, the first goal was to you know get back to being able to live my life, right? Being able to 
walk well again, then eventually being able to run, then eventually being able to shoot a basketball. I had to relearn how to shoot, right? And um, relearn how to play the game. And I never got back to being at the level that I was prior to the second accident. I was a pretty good player at one point. Um, never got back to that level. But, you know, I was fortunate to get into a game after about two and a half years of not playing in a game because I wasn't ready to play. I w- it wasn't safe for me to play yet. I got into a game and played for me, and I hit a three of my first shot in high school, um, which is pretty cool. And then, you know, Coach Beeline stuck with me the whole way, honored my scholarship, told me that he can't wait to have me on his team from the, from the very beginning. When he, he came to see me in the hospital at the RIC in Chicago, and I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair, not because my legs were broken. I mean, they were, but they'd healed by this time. I was in a wheelchair because my brain couldn't tell my feet were one in front of the other. And at Austin, whenever I able to get to Michigan, I can't wait to have you on my team. I can't wait to coach you. And through, um, this is actually something that I talk about a lot when I travel around. Speaking, I haven't traveled around much for the last year, but when I speak virtually to, to, to companies across the country, you know, talk about that follow through on, on our commitments despite a change in circumstance. And I think if we can all do that, if we can all make it a priority to follow through on everything that we say we're going to do, even when there's a change in circumstance, I feel like that's a way that's going to help us win in the long run. So, yeah, I'm blessed, blessed to have had a tough road to recover, but feel blessed to have learned some valuable lessons that I can share with other people. So share some stories of how Coach Beeline showed his leadership. Well, I think it was the little things that Coach did. Obviously, Coach, is, he's a great coach. Um, and there were times when he had to, you know, be a coach, get on guys and let us know, you know, like what we needed to do. But Coach Beeline said that great leaders, great coaches um, lead by serving first. A great leader is someone who's very humble yet very confident. This is Coach Beeline's definition of a leader. Mm-hmm. He said a leader is someone who's very humble yet very confident and who others will follow. Because that leader has shown that he genuinely cares about those he's leading, right? Yes. And I think, and I think about that. Like, if if so, how can how can a how can a head coach be hard on you? A head coach. I mean, all college coaches are hard on their players at times, right? They got to yell. They got to get on them. But if you know your coach loves you and cares about you, right? Like, you can't be. You can't. But conversely, though, it can't be all love and no accountability. Like. You got to be hard on hard on people at times, right? But it's got to kind of be a balance. There's got to be because if because if a coach is hard on you, but doesn't show that he cares, he's a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. But if but if, but if, it, oh, if he's all love and no accountability, he's not going to be very effective. So I think that it's kind of that balance of you know that tough love and also that you know love letting letting your teammate letting your team know that you care about them. And I think that's kind of true in any in any leadership role. Obviously, I've never had a leadership position, but I think. About from what I learned from playing sports, you know, if if the leader of the team knows, if the, if the, if the team members know that, that the leader cares about them, he can hold them accountable and expect a great and expect a lot from them, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's very it's very important to have a little bit of both. I think one of the things I've heard you say too is that um, when the leader coaches from the heart as opposed to coaching to the skills of the employee or skills of the the player, but really knows them at a heart level uh, and knows what they need. It makes a big difference in, in their leadership as well. Yeah. You know, coach, someone coach beyond also said, he said, um, great leaders, great coaches serve their players heart, not their talent. 
they serve their player's heart, not their talent. And I think it's just like, because it, it's easy. It may, it may be easier to, you may, obviously you need to, every, a coach or a leader or, a, or an executive is going to lead everybody differently. Right, like what what may work for you? You may you probably led differently than how I need to be led, right? But so I I just think that if if a coach or a, or an executive or a leader of a team makes that effort to get to know those he's leading and, and learns how to serve them mm-hmm. in, the, in the most effective way, I feel like that's gonna that's gonna help us win over the long term. So. This episode of Lippert Built to Lead podcast is brought to you by the Lippert Academy for Leadership, the team committed to enhancing your organization's leadership and cultural goals with strategic leadership development programs, on-site training, executive coaching, speaking engagement, and customized solutions. Find out how to get your organization involved at www.lci1.com backslash academy. Or send us a message at academy at lci1.com. That's academy at lci1.com. I think what's so inspiring about your story is that, you know, everybody grieves differently. Everybody handles adversity differently. But but it isn't what happens to you as much as what you do with it. And I think I'm, you know, myself and and everyone who has listened to your speech or your talks uh, around the country is so inspired by your positive attitude. You you mentioned a term grit. Can you tell us a little bit about your grit and and what it takes to overcome adversity through grit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for, I'll answer the, the your first comment first. You say you talk about the positivity. I believe our, our positivity is a game changer especially in the face of adversity, I believe our positivity is a competitive advantage. It's a competitive advantage. The simple decision to be positive and look for the silver lining and be, and be grateful for things because I found it's hard to be grateful and negative at the same time. You know, obviously I'm not grateful for what happened to me and, and the impact it had on my life, but I'm grateful for the opportunity it gave me. So I think if we're grateful for the opportunities, we're going to work as hard as we can to make the most of them. So about grit, though, I realized to get from the hospital bed, the wheel, the wheelchair, when Coach came to see me, I couldn't walk. And he said, I can't wait to have me on his team at Michigan. I realized it was going to take some work. It was, I had a long way to go. It was going to, no, it was going to take some grit. And a lot of people have talked about grit as, you know, working hard for the long-term vision, being consistent in our action, not just intense for a day or a week, but consistent over the long term. That's true. I like that. Angela Duckworth from the University of Pennsylvania, she's like one of the pioneers of the whole concept of grit. And she said that grit is um, passion and perseverance for long-term goals. That's true. Grit does apply to the long-term goal, but I think it applies to everything we do every single day as well. And I realized when I was in a hospital in Chicago um, and I couldn't walk and I had a long way to go, I needed something uh, a little more specific that I could hold myself accountable to on a daily basis, more specific way to, to define grit. So Grit to me, the four letters represent four key components, but I believe grit's first and foremost, it's driven by a greater purpose. I think we need to work for something bigger than ourselves because if any one of us on this call today, anyone listening, if we're working this for ourselves, I think it's pretty likely that life's going to present us with adversity, opposition, challenge, relation, what have you. That'll probably cause us to give up or give in because we don't have a driving force for why we do what we do. Whatever that driving force is, it's different for everyone on the call. And I'm not here to tell you what your driving force should be. I just think it's important for us all to recognize what that driving force is. Because that force, that that greater purpose will drive us to do what it takes to overcome 
and our job is to find a way to thrive in the midst of adversity, whatever the, whatever the adversity may be. So MIT statistician named Arnold Bennett, the odds of surviving a plane crash with at least one fatality, the odds of that is one in 3.4 million. So that's pretty slim. I tragically but fortunately survived two plane crashes with multiple fatalities in both. So according to the, the MIT statistician, one in 3.4 million is the odds of surviving one. One in 3.4 million is the odds of surviving a second one. So the odds of surviving both is one in 11 quadrillion, 560 trillion. That's a 14-digit number on the denominator of that fraction. So that's incredibly slim, right? That was the, according to his numbers, that's the odds of me still being alive. I shouldn't be alive if you look at his odds. But my goal wasn't just to survive, though. By the grace of God, I came out of the coma. I wasn't. The, the doctor said that my coma, my traumatic brain injury, was the worst one they've ever seen that came out of a coma. And so by the grace of God, I did. You know, it's a I can't take it, you know, testament to the power of God for, right, for, you know, being with me throughout the whole journey. But my goal wasn't just to survive, though. My goal was to thrive. So I knew it was going to take some grit. So when you have that greater purpose, that'll drive the four key components of grit, in my opinion. So the G in grit stands for the growth mindset. The growth mindset believes that every setback, every failure, every adversity is really an opportunity. The growth mindset believes that even when we inevitably fail or fall short of a goal for a quarter or a year, that failure is not a permanent condition. We can find a way to grow from it. Coach Beeline would always come in a locker room in the, after we lose a game. I was a part of some great teams at Michigan. We didn't lose that many games. Whenever we would lose, coach would come in a locker room and say, we're going to watch the film of the game and we're going to find a way to get better from it. We're going to review what happened, what we can work on so that we can find a way to get better from it. I think about that in the life context. I think it makes sense to watch the film of what we go through, metaphorically speaking, review what happened, what we did well, or what we can work on so that we can find a way to get better in the future. So I think just making that decision to, to take a positive from it. It may not be the event. Nothing. There's nothing positive from COVID-19. The impact that it's had on a lot of people or is off of my condolences, my thoughts and prayers are with anyone on the call who's listening, whose families have been impacted directly. But I just think it would make sense to find a way to take a positive from whatever we go through, whether that's a win, a metaphorical win, or a metaphorical loss. So the growth mindset drives us to make the decision to be resilient. That's the R. The, de the decision to be resilient means we focus on the things that we control, our attitude, our work ethic, our response to adversity. We can't do anything about the circumstances. COVID-19, it is what it is. My circumstances were what they were, but I knew I had 100% control of how I chose to respond. And so I think just making that decision to be resilient means that we, we acknowledge the fact that we can't do it alone. We acknowledge the fact that it's going to take all of us, it's going to take a team to, to overcome any obstacle. And I think that just making that decision to be resilient is so important because we're all going to face challenges in life. Everyone is going to face challenges. And when, when, you, when you make that decision to prioritize our response over prioritizing our circumstances, it seems like that makes sense. So the I in grit is integrity. And of course, we all know that integrity is about doing the right thing known as looking, um, being honest, treating people the right way. A lot of companies have the integrity piece written on the wall as part of the cultural framework. That's great. A lot of companies, you know, integrity is huge. You know, doing the right thing known as looking is very important. But I believe um, in addition especially in the context of overcoming adversity or really in the context of achieving any goal, especially as a team. I believe integrity is about following through on our commitments and doing what we said we would do, especially when there's a change in circumstance. Coach Beeline offered me a scholarship when I was playing at a pretty high level on June 15, 2011. I was involved in the second playing crash of my life nine days later 
Well, I was almost killed. And when I was, I was, I was in a coma for two and a half months and I came out of it. I couldn't walk. I couldn't basketball was not even on the radar. Coach came to see me when I was at the lowest of the low. I was at my lowest point. I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk and told me that he can't wait to have me on his team. He can't wait to coach me. I think about that from a, from an organizational perspective. If we could have 100% of our team members make it a priority to follow through on 100% of what we commit to 100% of the time, I feel like that can't do anything but help us win in the long run. Maybe doing that, for, maybe following through on every commitment for a week or two may not make a big difference. But over the long term, if we have everybody on the team who always makes it a priority to follow through on what they said they would do, that can't do anything but help us win in the long run. So if making a commitment is a common thing, right? There's 250 million people in the work world today, give or take. I would argue that all 250 million people make a commitment every day of some kind. Maybe it's a big commitment or a small one. They tell them they're going to do something. But I guarantee you there's not 250 million or whatever the number is. There's not the same number of commitments followed through on as there are commitments that are made, especially when there's a change in circumstance. So if making a commitment is a common thing, but following through on a commitment, especially when there's a change in circumstance, is an uncommon thing. I believe following through on a commitment when there's a change in circumstance is doing a common thing in an uncommon way. It's doing a common thing in an uncommon way. And the result of doing the common things in an uncommon way is we're going to leave people in places a little better than we found them. So the last letter of good T, T to me is the team versus mentality. I think we should always think about the team first. We should train ourselves to think we before me. We should remember that every person on every team has a role, and the role is very important. Otherwise, that person probably wouldn't be on the team. I would have loved to be able to play in the big games at Michigan and score and rebound and play defense, things like that. My injuries that I suffered in the second accident prevented me from playing. I actually, Coach Ben was gracious enough to put me in one game my freshman year. I got fouled. I went to the free throw line. I had one free throw. So I scored one point in four years. I have the proud title of the all-time lowest scoring full scholarship athlete in Michigan basketball history. And hey, you know what? But if what I could do to help the team, if what I could do to serve my teammates with shag balls on practice, unload luggage on road trips, rebound for them and shoot around before games and bring a positive attitude to the gym every day. Hey, if that's what I could do is what I could do. I felt I owed it to my teammates to take pride in my role. And I thought I owed it to them to take, take, yeah, not only to take pride, but to make the effort to fill my role to the best of my ability. Coach Wooden, um, the legendary basketball coach from UCLA, said success is peace of mind which comes from knowing you've done your best to become the best of which you're capable of becoming. You've done the best to become the best of which you're capable of becoming. I wasn't capable of, of being a star of the team. I had teammates. I have teammates who are playing in the NBA now. Really happy for them. I wasn't capable of doing that. But I, I was capable of being positive every day. I was capable of, of helping my team with drills and practice, unloading luggage and rebounding and shoot around. Hey, if that's what I could do, it's what I could do. So I felt I owed it to them to take pride in my role. And I think if everybody on, a, on, a, on any team and in any organization can make the effort to fill their roles to the very best of their ability, can make the effort to fill their roles to the best of which they're capable of filling those roles, that's going to help us win in the long run. So that's great to me. It's driven by the greater purpose. First and foremost, the greater purpose drives the growth mindset in the face of adversity. It drives us to make the decision to be resilient to focus on our response to adversity rather than, rather than focusing on our circumstances. It drives us to make the decision to have integrity and always do what we said we would do, especially when there's a change in circumstance. And lastly, that greater purpose will drive us to have the team first mentality and always think about the we before the me and remember that a rising tide lifts all boats every day of the week.
Excellent. So I, I heard you say one time that your role on that team was to encourage, inspire, and motivate others. And you wanted to be the best at it you could possibly be. Do you think that's what has driven you into this occupation? You know, now yeah, that you've kind of in the next chapter of your life? Yeah, yeah, I really do. You know, it's a blessing to be able to, you know, hopefully provide some perspective and to encourage people and hopefully motivate people to kind of think that, hey, man, if this kid can do it, so can I. If he can overcome the obstacles in his life, why can't I overcome mine? That's my hope. And I hope that it just gives people perspective and that, you know, we can overcome any, any obstacle, any obstacle. So it's a blessing to be in the position that I'm in today. So Austin, if someone wanted to contact you to be a keynote speaker, how would they do that? So you can email me at Austin hyphen hatch.com all lowercase uh, austin at austin hyphen hatch.com or you can go on my website austin hyphen hatch.com and you know put in a request and inquiry and i'll you know get back to you as soon as i can and about speaking i love organization to anyone who's listening it'd be an honor and a privilege so yeah thank you i'm, I'm on linkedin you can follow me there um, I post content there. We can connect that way too. If that that'd be easier for you, I can I can I'll make myself available to you to serve you and your team whenever it would add the most value. Okay, I'll I'll also offer that if anyone out there wants to get a hold of Austin, you can contact me at lippert.com backslash academy, and I can hook you up. But I really appreciate all of your inspiration today, Austin. It's uh, it's amazing to hear your story and and watch you as as you grow through this journey. It can't be easy. I, I don't know how you talk about this without crying because I've cried every single time I've listened to you. <laughs> so I think that it's, uh, you know, you're really spreading a wonderful message and, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, absolutely, Angie. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope the conversation provided some value for your listeners. And if there's ever anything else that I can do to serve you all or add value in any way, you know how to get in touch with me. So thanks again. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for joining today's Built to Lead podcast. Tune in next time to add even more fuel to your leadership journey as you make business a force for good in our world. We'll see you soon. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the view or mission of Lipper Components Incorporated.